0: Greater than 0% is a 501c3 nonprofit that's on a mission to share stories of organizations from around the world that are changing lives. We have weekly episodes featuring amazing nonprofits and monthly episodes interviewing top business executives. You can find us at GTZP.org on your preferred streaming or social media platforms. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode.
1: So thanks everybody for tuning into this episode. Today we have Laura Thompson-Osuri, the Executive Director, and Manisha Azizi, the Director of Family Services and Partnerships at Homes Not Borders. Thank you, Laura and Manisha for joining me today.
2: (laughs) Thank you. for having Thanks for having us, Joseph.
1: Yeah, so we always like to start by getting an understanding of the organization. So who wants to jump in and, and give us a mission statement of Homes Not Borders?
3: Our mission is yeah. to provide refugees and other forced migrants in the D.C. area with, with what they need to thrive and seal at home in United States. All
1: right, boom. So we're gonna get into what that means and how y'all are accomplishing it. But before we do, we like to learn a little bit about the guests. So Laura, if you wanna kick it off and, and explain to us your why for being a part of this organization, and then Manisha, we could, we could kick it over to you afterwards.
3: Great. Um, So I'm, my name, I guess, is Laura, and I'm the executive director. I'm one of the, I'm the founder as well. And we started, Homes Not Borders started as a mission of my church, National Community Church, back in 2017. And so I initially got involved in the refugee care mission is what it was called for National Community Church back then. And I just got involved kind of as a volunteer to help out. I mean, I saw there was a need in the community. You know, this was on the heels of the Syrian crisis, and there was just a lot going on. And I might I had, my daughter was one years old. My youngest daughter was one year old at the time. And so it was, I could bring her with and help with the home setups. That's what we were mainly doing at the time through my church. And I, and I didn't really want to step up, but as of, as like any sort of leader, I just wanted to like help out, but like they needed people to call the resettlement agencies and see what they needed and nobody stepped up. So I was like, I can do that. That's easy enough. And so I did. And that's how we found out they needed the home setups and all that. And so, yeah, and that's kind of how it got going. And I'm just... I, that's how I got involved. (laughs) I think that was a little very glamorous. Prior to that, I had, in 2003, I had started another nonprofit called Street Sense, which is a street newspaper that homeless people sell and make money off of their sports, dozens throughout the U.S. and the world, in fact. So I had background in nonprofits and just kind of, that's just who I am. I kind of see a need and help fill it. Try to fill it anyways, do the best I can. And so once things got going with the mission through the church, it just was clear that it wasn't enough to be volunteer run at that point. We were working with all the resettlement agencies and there were just other needs we saw from the refugee community and we heard about. So me and then a couple other of the founding volunteers decided to spin it off into its own nonprofit in June of 2019.
1: All right. Thanks for the background. What what got you involved?
3: So I am... I
2: am from Afghanistan. And when Kabul fell, that really, that was very upsetting to me and my family. I wanted to know how I can make a change and what I can do from here, you know, And because I obviously couldn't do anything in Afghanistan. And growing up in the United States, you know, I felt very helpless um, that I couldn't go back and, you know, travel and do anything like that to help the people of Afghanistan. So that's, I, I started kind of, you know, making some calls, seeing who needed help, trying to connect with some resettlement agencies. And then I actually, I was volunteering with a resettlement agency when I stumbled upon Homes Not Borders and I started volunteering with Homes Not Borders and I fell in love with Homes Out Borders and what it stood for and the people that, you know, they, they have these big hearts and they wanted to do was help. And, you know, and, and it felt so good because you felt you're on, you're on the ground and you definitely are making a difference. You know, it's not this huge, colossal organization where you, where you feel very out of touch with yep. what's really going on. So it's very grassroots. And I think that was very, very appealing to me. And I could, you know, I could connect with the families. And, of course, I speak Farsi. And so for me, it was, it was definitely something where I saw myself doing long term. And then Laura said, hey, why don't you come, you know, join us at Homes Borders." And I was delighted to do that. So that's how I started out
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I we interviewed a lot of different types of nonprofits. This is a type of nonprofit that we haven't done many of, so I'm going to probably ask some 101 dumb questions, you could say. No question is dumb. So, yeah. Yeah, so thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so so people could understand a little bit what the process is like for refugees in the US. So, I think first first question, could you Maybe explain what the experience is of a, a, a refugee typically in the U.S., because resettlement agencies is a type of organization I have not really heard much about, whether they're government-funded or also a nonprofit, or kind of what's the experience of a, a refugee. I think that, that'd that be a good learning for, for our listeners here. Well,
3: why, don't I, why don't I take it from across the, on the other side of the world, and then you could take it from what they get here, Manisha. How about that? We can do that. Do you have personal, personal experience that. with that? But yeah, no, so, so, you know, refugee, the refugee process, refugees are some of the most vetted, they are the most vetted people to come to, you know, the U.S. out of anybody. It takes, they say six months to a year, but people wait, take, you know, two years, four years, lots longer to get refugee status and come to the United States. And they can, when they're over in, you know, the refugee camp or their home country, they can, or usually a third country, they can, they select kind of the top countries they want to go to. And, you Mm -hmm. know, the U.S., because the year it's greater, they Pick it because they know family, whatever, they end up in DC. And then so once they have a city to go to, then they get the resettlement agencies in that city. In the Uni- in the DC area where we're at, we have three main resettlement agencies. Um, there's IRC, LSS, and ECDC. And then Catholic Charities does that in a very small number of cases as well. And there's nine resettlement agencies throughout the United States, and they're in different areas. And so they get assigned a resettlement agency and, you know, a city and a resettlement agency in that Agency brings them over, helps them find housing and helps set up their home. And that's kind of where we come in as homes out borders. And yeah, we just, you know, go on from yeah. there. Yeah. So
2: basically, once, you know, they're they've they they're obviously connected to or affiliated with a resettlement agency, they they the resettlement agency most often, you know, reaches out to us in the DMV area because they know that, you know, we're we're pretty well known in the in this area. And we help furnish their homes. So when when a family walks into an apartment that they've been assigned to, they're walking into a fully furnished home and not just an empty apartment, which is such a great feeling. And so much stress has been, you know, taken off of that whole experience because then they can concentrate on other things. So... Basically, that's what our organization does. And, you know, we work with all of these resettlement agencies. So you can imagine how busy we are. (laughs) Uh, But we have a very large number of volunteers, which we could use more of, actually. But they're wonderful and they help us get this done. So it's, you know, the family basically has to be able to find employment. The resettlement agencies basically help them with the three months, 90 days period of, you know, with the rental income. And then they're on their own. So with our organization, we have a few programs that helps them you know with employment if we can, and the resale agencies do that as well, um, but it just depends on what sticks and so we we help them with certain programs, some cash assistance, we have a program for that, and we help some of the women that are basically you know having to be at home and take care of the children. We try to help them and empower them somehow and make sure that they are uh, you know finding some way of of being
3: being seen and heard and and making some income. Yeah. And just to add on, sorry, one more point. You yeah, mentioned yeah. about them paying rental income. Every refugee, per refugee, it's, what is the number? It's like twelve to $1,300. I don't know what it is now. It's a range between there. It changes with, you know, every year. They get, per refugee gets that stipend. So if you have family of four, you get that times four, you know, kids included, infants included. And that money is supposed to last you for your first three months and three months of rent, which we all know is not going to pay for three months of rent in this area. Unless it's like a family of 12 or something, but still. So we, and if from that money, they're supposed to pay to rent. And then they're also supposed to, there's a whole list from the state department saying they need like these certain items in their house. And it's really minimal. Like it's terribly minimal. Like they need like a sofa and a table and chairs, but you know, doesn't say anything about purpose with our really important afghans or like coffee tables and those kind of things. So we, so we, so if you went through some agency and we weren't there or another like community group didn't help out, then they would buy the resettlement agencies would just pay for the family's furnishings out of their resettlement stipend and so we not right. only provide them with above and beyond at a home we also save them we comes about 30, we say about 3600 dollars $6, um I'll
1: yeah yeah they have wow. that money
3: to pay for rent and other things.
1: yeah yeah absolutely and and i I, want, I definitely want to get into that too and 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 talk about how many people you've impacted so far one quick question which is probably I'm assuming it's a topic that that you you have experienced a lot over the past few years and with kind of changing presidential administrations. But I, I always love people that are actually boots on the ground, experiencing and supporting refugees that are coming to the U.S. So, so my question is, since you all have been in the trenches and experiencing this, what has been your perspective of the responsibility that you feel the U.S. has for supporting refugees. I know this is a very like intense question, but but I'm sure it's one that that you've thought about or been asked. But people that have actually experienced it and, and worked with the families that are, that are going through this, I'd love your perspective since you have firsthand experience with it. So I think you're you're more experienced than anyone to to be able to have that type of opinion.
3: <laughs> I defer to Laura. <laughs> we as Americans are so blessed and so fortunate of our of our luck of birth, honestly, of, of where we live, our birthplace. And, and we don't, I don't think Americans appreciate that enough, that we can just travel anywhere, passport can take us anywhere. There's so many countries. I mean, it makes me crazy. We have people in a family in Afghanistan that they just can't leave because they can't go anywhere. There's so many countries yeah. like that. And I mean, the refugee program is like bare minimum to like let people into the, you know, to, wow, I, there's so few people. I mean, the percentage of, of you know, people that are trying to displace throughout the world. I mean, the refugees are like a sliver, like I think it's like two percent or something like that of those people. And so I mean, just to do our part in in you know, the country that we have with stable economies, lots of opportunities for jobs and, you know, honestly lots of room for people. So I think it, you know, just our duty as as a country that it has is fortunate enough to have a stable environment to accept people.
1: Yeah. That yeah. it reminds me of the Spider Man quote with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So refugees, what What are the, the kind of the main countries, I guess, recently that the majority of the refugees are coming from, or is it kind of all over the globe?
3: I mean, it depends on where, we were again in the DC area, so it, mm-hmm. it varies greatly by region as any sort of migration trends do, but we are still seeing, I mean, you just talked about when Kabul fell, that was August 2021, 20, people don't remember, and so it was, a wave of Afghans came over. You know, everybody saw the footage of them on planes and stuff. But the the Afghan resettlement is still the majority of people we serve. It's it's still about seventy five to eighty percent we serve in the D.C. area. Yeah. And a lot of Northern California sees a lot of still is seeing a lot of Afghans as well. But other places, you know, I can't comment. But I know I have friends in other places that does refugee work, and they're they're seeing different populations. I mean, we're also seeing in our area again. We have a lot of Eritreans and Ethiopians, Burmese, like the Rohingyas are coming over. And then, like, Congolese, and then Central Americans, a lot of Guatemalans, and South Got Did it. They covered all in Asia? I think so. And then Syrians, <laughs> actually. We're still so good. We're, we're, it's nice to see. Oh, yeah. We have the the number a number of Syrians. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. It, what about folks from Ukraine? Is that kind of like a, a misconception of what's going on in Ukraine? Again, it depends
3: on where we're at. We've seen, I didn't mention that, but we have. It's been, ukraine has been small. I think last year we Mm -hmm. saw maybe 15 families from Ukraine. And last year we helped 500 families. So that
1: That was giving them next 512 families.
3: Yes. So So the thing is, Joseph, with
2: the Ukrainians, a lot, they work with the sponsorship program. Theirs is a, a little bit different. They might, we might not see them on our end. Whereas, you know, because they're being sponsored and then, you know, privately sponsored a long time. So they've been kind of, a lot of them are essentially somebody else, somebody else has taken on the responsibility of furnishing their homes and whatnot. Yep. So we do see a little trickle of it, but it's more so everybody else that, you know, is, is not like through private sponsorship and things like that. Maybe we'll see through the recent home agencies.
3: Yeah. And usually uh, with that, that they know that the home. person that sponsors them, so living their house. Yep.
1: Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. Okay. So Curtin state if a refugee were to go through the process without partnering with an organization like yours, they would basically have to... Through the programs that the state department has set up that they would have to kind of use their savings of i think thirty six hundred dollars of their resettlement money in order to do a lot of the furnishings and, and y'all are helping mm-hmm. offset that cost and then i also saw on your website that that you, you you have different programs you have set up step up and move up which i i i love the power of threes <laughs> so, Thank you. So yeah, okay.
3: we're trying yeah, to mark i
1: don't i don't yes so maybe like Give me the high level overview of this. We talked about the setup kind of $3,600 of the resettlement fees that, that you're helping cover, but the step up and the move up of of not just supporting them from the the, the settlement fee waiving, but you also have programming to support them in cash assistance for, for additional months of job training, for example. So I'd love to hear about what is the step up and the move up portion of your programming?
3: Yeah. you want to? Laura, do you want to just do Why don't I take step up and you take role? Okay. And yeah. <laughs> So the <laughs> other step up. Well, then we'll go. So step up. Main thing is, I'm an artisan program, which we kind of formalized with a whole website and store last year. And it just again, as Manisha mentioned, um, it's helped women. A lot of the Afghan women are at home. Well, and other women, but mostly Afghan women that are artisans, and a few men actually. There is one male artisan we have. Uh, yes, <laughs> but they're oftentimes at home watching the children, and they just it's a way to give them an outlet of a way to. Back to their family and get a little income as well, and also just improve their own field and artisan skills. So we have what are the twelve to thirteen artisans right now making home goods and other items. We use them in our home setup, pay them, make pillows and table runners, tablecloths. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and then we have a website and we they sell them at markets and on website as well. And then we also have, we just formalized another kind of part to the step-up area, which is we had done some storytelling last year, just kind of to, we had some interest on our board and in our staff and it went really well. So we're trying to get about 10 to 12 refugees involved in a storytelling program partnering with the Moth Storytelling Hour. And then it's just a way to help them kind of process their trauma and learn better communication skills and all that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
3: Okay. So the Move Up
2: program is about helping those that that have an existing job and want to you know get a better paying job it could be in the you know in in the career path that maybe they had back home or something new that they want to you know venture into so it basically you know gives them something to look forward to and something that they can you know on the, in the long run they have a better outcome and so because employment is so hard to find when you do come here from you know from a different country not everything is accepted here. And so we're trying to find a way for them to get into that field, maybe of their dreams and, and, you know, provide some kind of training or point them to the right direction of the training. Our website has a really good, you know, different varieties of of different careers that they can go into. And I basically help them set that up and then they can take on the training. And when they do that, we give them a good, you know, half of the rent for about three months to help them to you know, get over that training and then be able to get on a better paying job to help yep. their family in the long, long run. So that's what the moving up fund is. And it's very popular and not everybody has it. Actually, I don't know anybody that has it. Yeah. So I get really excited talking about it because it's such a great program and all of the families look forward to we, we get like about 20 to 30 applicants a month. And so um, when they get that first email of, hey, you're qualified, they're so they're so excited. Yeah. So it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. yeah, we we we've,
3: yeah. we we have given away what I think about, I did the numbers about sixty four thousand dollars so far. We launched in and I guess started giving away money in August of 2022. So we've given away about that much. And and we at any given time we'll have probably about ten to twelve awardees, like. like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and you said it before, but how many total refugees have you supported so far since y'all started? Oh boy. <laughs> maybe i so maybe didn't it's say the full. full yeah actually i think you just said last year right so I, I, yeah I, life, I that was families to too.
3: <laughs> number of refugees i think the number was about 20 it's <laughs> looking for the paperwork it, it, 20, <laughs> 20, <laughs> it was about i 2,500 last oh no 2,130 refugees last year and a little and this year we have i think about 600 so far this year probably. yeah yeah so that's a lot yeah it's a and, and then we don't we don't we just set up for, and we leave our information. We leave, we have a whole list of other organizations that can help. We never hear from yeah, them like again. Yeah. And then obviously we have people in our other programs, which are you know smaller numbers of people probably right. in those programs total. That's yeah, I'll be helping about And it.
2: most of the families, Joseph, that we've helped is specifically the Afghan families. I don't know. I don't know about the Syrian families. Laura can kind of chime in on that, but they've been large families. These are large families. They're, you know, the, the average is six members in a, in oh, a wow. home. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're talking lots of different, you know, lots of furnishings and (laughs) lots of supplies that are needed to make sure that these folks are, are, you know, settled in and and comfortable. Yeah,
3: Yeah, no, they're all large family. (laughs) Mostly, mostly, mostly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear an example of kind of a story of a family and their experience through working with y'all. If you have ones that come to mind, just to, to, Kind of shed light as well on, on the impact of your organization if, if any specific family comes to your mind
3: <laughs> um, well, after Honestly, eight, just,
2: yeah <laughs>
1: there's so many and I'm know. trying
2: to I, I was trying before this I was trying to figure out who am I going to yeah. talk about yeah <laughs> but, but I guess if we're going to talk about somebody more recent I can talk about a, a current family I'm, I'm still helping and so this is a family that we ran across they had reached out and and that's another thing is they don't have to necessarily reach out through the resettlement agencies. No. They can reach out to us directly, and they have. And so this family was affiliated with a resettlement agency, and I think you know they did what they needed to do. And so um, there were some things that were outstanding that were taking a, a little bit longer than expected. And so when I met the family, I felt the need to help them right away. The kids were not enrolled in school; been, they had been sitting at home for two months. Just bored and, you know, there's no outlet, there's no TV, they don't really speak the language. Both parents are a bit illiterate. So it was very challenging for them, as you can imagine. Uh, you know, having to figure out and navigate how do I get my kids enrolled, how do I take them to the doctors and so on. And so, you know, outside of the furnishings that 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 we provided for them, which I did, you know, initially that's what we do. And and I did that. They needed a few things here and there, got them some kids' bikes, got them some tables got him a TV, which we don't usually give to families because they're just so large.
3: <laughs> yeah. But we
2: have, we have been known to, we do when, when we get them, oh, we do give them
3: more. Them.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we get them. Yeah. And so this family definitely gave him a TV, which was, you know, I could see their faces light up because the kids now were not bored and you know, they, cause they couldn't go to school. They didn't know the language. They couldn't play outside really. Cause parents were just very, you know, they were very cautious. And yeah. they weren't sure if the, the kids should be playing outside and how safe it was and whatnot. So when I got them the TV, they were really, really excited. <laughs> and then, of course, I—I I remember I so I had to, you know, help get them enrolled in school, and we went and got some uniforms and things like that. And uh, and so they once they they were all ready, I had them put on their little school uniforms. I took a picture of them. The smiles oh. on their faces—it was so cute. I loved it. So that really sticks out in my mind, and I still have a very good connection with that family. That family is like my family now. And that's, and, and, you know, that's just one story. There's so many other stories that I could, I mean, we could talk all day on this, uh, but there's so many others that just, you know, hit you
1: yeah, in, yeah. in the
2: heart. And, and and it's very, you know, I've, I've basically laughed with the, the families, cried with the families, you name it, you know, there was another family I can actually tell you quickly. I went into the, the, the husband had reached out through our email, you know, our, our website, and said, hey, you know, we need a few things. My kids need some toys and things like that. Even though we gave them toys, I think he wanted something a little bit different. So I said, no problem with so I Went and paid him a visit, wanted to see what the family was like. Um, and that's kind of part of what I do anyway, family services director. After we go and do the setup, I kind of check in on the family. Yeah. So I went in there and the wife was kind of very reluctant at first to talk to me. I mean, it, it, you could tell that there was some trauma that had happened, you know, leaving the country so abruptly, yeah. And then not knowing anybody, not knowing the language, it was a lot. Yeah. And so when I introduced myself, it was almost like a, a sigh of relief for her because I spoke the language as well. And so she felt like she can communicate with me. And all of a sudden she starts sobbing oh. and just, yeah, she, she was just, it was, I could tell there was just so much tension and there was so much that she wanted to just let out. And, and she told me, she said, look, I feel isolated. I feel alone. I don't know the language. This is really hard. And so I made sure I stayed there a, a, for a good hour I met the kids I met the, the husband. And I wanted to make sure that they knew that they were fine, they were safe and that, you know, th- there's people just like me, even if they don't speak Farsi, that care about them and that
3: are there to help.
1: Oh man, that's, that is tough. I can't, I couldn't imagine having to leave my country and and, and, and going to another country, not knowing anything, let alone not knowing the language and, and how overwhelming mm. that would be. I cannot imagine that.
2: <laughs> I remember looking around the room and thinking, I recognize that table. I recognize that sofa from our warehouse and I felt so nice. And some of the decor that the volunteers had picked out for the family. And it was just really, really nice. And I said, ah, definitely this was our setup. And it, it definitely felt warm and homey. And so, yeah, those are the kind of stories. And I'm, like I said, I'm in, you know, I'm in connection with that family as well. And I check on them occasionally to see how she's doing. And, you know, I've given her the option of, of, you know, do you want to be in the artisan program and things like that, just so that she feels like she feels a little bit empowered and fe- feels like there are things that she can do here yeah and not yeah. Feel so isolated absolutely
1: yeah. And Manisha,
3: so, you're i was saying your story reminded me of of the woman being very question you know very on guard my yeah, view there was a i was I'm, I'm not on the ground as much as Manisha. now sadly i tried to do something it's like and but yeah there was a i wasn't even there but the family that it was a ukrainian family one of the two we've had and they were the woman it was like you know husband wife and, and a little baby and when they brought the furniture in, the woman was like super, she was like, what are you doing? Like, she was super suspect of why we're bringing furniture and like thought we'd like ask her for money. And we have one of our drivers. He's actually an Iraqi refugee who came over in, I guess, many years ago. he have been here like seven years. He speaks yeah. Russian as well. So he was helping to translate. And through Walid, ah. we were able, Walid's amazing. He speaks <laughs> Arabic, English, Russian. He speaks Turkmen too, doesn't he? Or no, he speaks Kurdish. Anyways, no, I must, we we must I know that's the, one of the languages we have. We we know thirteen languages on our staff, by the way, very impressive. But uh, while well, he had covered like three of them, but uh, so while he translated to the woman and like he her like, no, we're giving this to you. This is you know, this is a do- for free and like a donation. And the thought of like somebody she doesn't know giving her stuff for free and not asking anything in return, like they literally. We have this quote from the husband then, who, who did speak English. He was like you know, you just blew our mind. And that's just like, you know, (laughs) we We hope to just blow your mind. Like, you know, just showing you the kindness of that, you know, of, you know, the people in America and showing that we're here to welcome you. So.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think we did a good job at covering kind of the history and and the current state. I'd love to hear a little bit about your plans for the future and and what, what, and anything specific you want to call out that's, that's coming up here in the, in the short term.
3: Do you mean like long-term plans?
1: It, 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 yeah, long-term plans for the organization. Yeah, we'll start there.
3: <laughs> we have lots of long-term plans, but we need money for lots of this. So if yeah, you give us more money uh, or some space, one of our two of our like, main plans to possibly take our model, like the home sound program. Anyways, you know, take it to other cities and kind of work it in with. Yeah. Because there's other resettlement agencies that like IRCS in DC and it's elsewhere. And so just kind of expanding on that. And then we love, we have the artisan program and you know, we, we don't have a very we'd like to expand it more to workshop space, like hard, you know, carpentry and stuff. We actually have somebody on staff, another Iraqi, who's, I forgot to mention this, but he's making, he's, he's doing a great job refinishing tables and making his own tables and stuff like that. So we don't have to throw any furniture away anymore. So we've been saving a lot of furniture from that. And just expanding on that. So we wanna have like a community center maker space, you know, just whatever refugee kind of hubbub kind of thing. We'd love to have yeah, that. Yeah. That's the main thing. And then, yeah, we're looking to, another thing we're looking at too is kind of helping not to get in too much of the weed, but there's something called the new way to come over for refugees called private sponsorship. So we're hoping to help groups that we already work with help privately sponsor refugees.
1: So. Yeah, yeah.
3: And then, and then so that's what our long-term plans are. And as for stuff that's going on right now in the future, well, World Refugee Day is the 20th of June. And so this is airing on Thursday, I believe, the 15th. Yep. So we have a bunch of activities leading up to World Refugee Day. So just take a look on our website and see how you can involve, whether it's volunteering or attending a workshop about refugee resettlement, learning more, or donating money, donating items, doing all sorts of things.
2: Yeah,
0: no.
3: donating time, time.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, like no, exactly. But, yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's important. Like the types of engagement that you look for. It sounds like, of course, it- monetary donations fundraising that's key volunteering that's key but also you mentioned donating items so yeah. what's I'd, I'd love to hear about that process is that items to help furnish the the buildings as yeah well? oh yeah
3: most of our we provided last year about a million dollars in donated items to refugees and spent only like two hundred and thirty thousand dollars on new items beds have to be new that's one of the burden. right <laughs> doing this work you have to buy beds and frames new but then most so like 80 percent of the items we give is usually is, is donated items so can drop them by our warehouse anytime you can find the information or what we need exactly on our website we do have an amazon wishlist as well if you just like to do online shopping and want to go about it that way or we do do pickups as well of larger furniture we just ask that it's multiple items and things right and we have a list of things that we you know sofas dressers public tables you know main items. awesome lamps lamps lamp. yeah Rugs.
1: yeah absolutely yeah awesome well, well, great. Is there anything before we wrap up that you want to leave us with, you that we didn't cover, or that you want to to make sure to call out for for the audience?
3: <laughs> yes. Oh. yes, yes. Thank you, Mitch. Yes. So <laughs> as we mentioned our storytelling program, we we do what we did it last year. Storytelling program. So we we're gonna have a big event in October, October twenty fourth. Actually, we have to save the date now. I do believe at the. But at the capital turnaround. In VC, we're going to be having it there, and yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to have hopefully, you know, five to seven RIFG speakers telling their story. We did this last year, and it was an amazing event. So
1: really great. Wow. All right. Well, I, I think that's it. Like I said before, we set a roll, and time flies when we're ta- talking about yeah. this stuff. So, Laura Manisha, thank you so much for your time today. We're honored to share your story, and and folks that are listening, get engaged. You, you don't have to be in the DC area. They have a website. So take a look and see what they need. And if supporting the refugee process that we have in the US is something that pulls on your heartstrings and you want to hear more about this organization, go on their website. And uh, thanks again, Lauren, immediately so much for your time. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much, Joseph. Jada.
0: Thanks for listening to Greater Than 0%. To find more episodes or to have your organization Featured on the podcast, you can find us at gtzp.org on your preferred streaming or social media platforms. Find your cause with greater than 0%.